Father, as we look to your word this morning, we pray that you would challenge us and encourage us. We thank you for your love and grace to us. We appreciate the opportunity we have to serve with you, to partner with you, and amazingly to have you partner with us. Uh, we pray that as we study your word today, we would be encouraged and strengthened. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would help uh, part of this message, at least, to really resonate in each heart, that we might think, uh, be drawn closer to you, think of some way we can serve you. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bibles, please, and turn where we're going to start in Mark chapter 10. The title of the message is really amazing. You, you're shocked to hear this coming today. Why do we have children's ministries? Why would we do that? Well, uh, we're going to share some reasons from the Scripture why this is important. And we are not uh, looking down on adult ministries at all. We have some thriving adult ministries. We praise the Lord for that. But why do we have youth and children's ministries? Well, number one reason is because kids are important to Jesus. Kids are important to Jesus. You have your Bible in Mark 10? Uh, look with me, please. Verse 13. Then they brought young children to him, to Jesus, that he might touch them, bless them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter in. And he took them up in his arms, he put his hands on them, and blessed them. Now, kids are important to Jesus. When it comes to children's ministry, Jesus doesn't mess around. The disciples were trying to shoo the pesky kids away. You know, some people, uh, Kathy and I actually were in a church not for very long. We, God led us to a different ministry in a different town. But we were in this church uh, in Arlington, Texas for a couple of years. And in that, that time that we were there, we realized that the pastor really didn't like kids. He had a special program for the kids on Sunday morning. Uh, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. He never wanted kids in the auditorium. All the way through till teenagers, then they could sit in there. Uh, he thought they were a distraction to the teaching of the Word. And one of the reasons why we don't do that is not only Jesus didn't do that, but we want kids sitting in church with their parents, seeing their parents hold themselves accountable to the Word of God. And sometimes you can have a dialogue when you get home. Now, we do have children's church going on right now up through second grade. And, and in Sunday school, we have kids all different ages, all the way through high school. They have separate classes, and then the adults meet in here. And, and we have uh, other things that go on on Thursday night. It's all just kids. We, the only adults we teach are the ones who are here working with the kids. Uh, and they sit in on the lessons. But but we want on Sunday morning for the older kids, on Sunday night for every kid who's not in the nursery, we want them in with their parents. 
So they see their parents be accountable to Scripture. And then when they go home, the parents can talk to the kids about the lesson. They can ask the kids what they learned. We used to do that with our kids. We had a guest speaker, our church in Texas. He was from Florida. And he, he lived near Orlando. And he'd get upset that when relatives would come in from out of town, people in his church would buy a weekend pass and they'd go to Disneyland the whole time. And it drove him crazy. And he kind of ranted and raved against the evils of Disneyland. And so we get home and we ask Jessica, what did you learn in church today? And she said, Mickey Mouse is bad. (laughs) Now, I hope your kids learn something a little better than that for being in church, okay? But, but Jesus wanted people, wanted kids to come to him. So when we're doing our children's ministry or even when I'm up here preaching and people are focusing on the Word, we are standing in the place of Jesus doing exactly what Jesus wanted done and what he would be doing if he were here. But he is no longer on the earth. We, the church, are the fullness of Christ, as Benjamin shared from Ephesians 1. And so we are doing what Jesus wants done in his place, in his name, on his planet, to the people he loves, including kids. When we show his love and share his truth, we're doing what Jesus wants done. We are partnering with God, and amazingly, God is partnering with us. Jesus said here, let the kids come. In fact, if you look in verse 13, it says, the disciples rebuked those who brought the kids, and Jesus was greatly displeased. What's the difference between being a little upset and greatly displeased? Yeah. Yeah, a little upset, you might say to a kid, Lance, stop that. But if you're greatly displeased, it's going to come out more like, Lance! Right? Or maybe even more emphatically, Lance! Oh, you know, one time I yelled really loud and it scared all the kids in the nursery, so... Sorry, sorry if that set off your hearing aids. It bothered mine, actually. Um, but there's a difference between being upset and being greatly displeased. This was not Jesus saying, hey, guys, you're not doing the best thing here. Let's change this a little bit. This is Jesus in your face saying, you guys are doing wrong. Let the kids come. My dad preferred the King James Version, suffer the children to come to me. And he really liked that suffer the children part. Just kidding. Bad joke. Okay, bad joke. Uh, Verse 14, Jesus was greatly displeased. And he said, it's your responsibility to bring the kids to me. Of such is the kingdom of heaven. Kids are important to Jesus. Adults are too. But some people ignore kids. In fact, there was an old-time preacher. I can't remember which one. And some, he'd been, he was an evangelist. He was preaching. And people said, so uh, how many people got saved in your meetings? He said, oh, we had 20 full um, believers and nine half-believers. And I said, what? 
are the half-believers the kids or something? He said, oh, no, no, no. No, the, the 20 are the kids because they have their whole life to serve God. And the half are the adults because their life's already half over. I'm really nurturing and encouraging you adults, aren't I? You are close to the grave. All right, let's move on. How about Matthew 18? Matthew 18. In every class, in every club, in every lesson that we do, in every interaction that we have with kids, God is partnering with you and you are partnering with him. Matthew chapter 18, look down in verse number 10. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Now, there's a teaching that we have that people have guardian angels, and some people get all excited that they have a guardian angel. I, the Bible doesn't say God assigns an angel to you. Um, it does say that God's angels minister to us. You know, and Elijah, one guy, one time, had a surround, the whole city surrounded by angels who were there just for Elijah. But God doesn't need angels. God is watching over you. The God who spoke creation into existence watches over you. But the, God said the angels are ministering spirits. And those ministering spirits, the one who minister to the kids, and their, their faces behold God. They are ready to be dispatched by God on our behalf because that's the purpose of angels, ministering spirits to help people on earth. When I was a kid, I was not a particularly nice kid. And we did lots of reckless things. And people used to say, we, our guardian angel worked overtime. No. One angel can handle any ordinary kid. One angel handled 180,000 trained troops in the Old Testament with no problem. And, but more importantly, we have God looking out for us. But listen, do you see the intimacy there? Those that God dispatches to work with the kids... They're right in the throne room of God, facing God, ready to be dispatched on his behalf and on their behalf. God has a tenderness for kids. And sometimes, because some kids are ornery, people get tired of kids. They, kids make noise, right? They make messes. In fact, if you talk to your insurance company, you know, what's the one thing churches can do to significantly reduce risk? The one thing, stop having children's ministries. Now, would Jesus say that's a good idea? Absolutely not. We need to have it. So we, we try and reduce the liabilities. All the people who work with our kids are background screened. Uh, they have to go through certain training. They're serving God but they're also equipped and legally representing uh, our church and the ministries of Christ here. So uh, be careful when you get exasperated with a kid. That same kid could end up preaching your funeral someday because God changes hearts and lives. And I have preached the funeral for people that were annoyed by me when I was a little kid. And they were thrilled to see the change down the road. Number two, 
Number one, kids are important to Jesus. Number two, kids remind us of the simplicity and centrality of the gospel. This is the TNTers at game time last week. No, you know that's not true because they have to wear tennis shoes, uh, sports shoes. But, uh, but kids remind us of the simplicity of life. Have you ever watched a kid learn something new? I mean, I love to watch kids hold up um, a dandelion and then they, they blow on it. I was on YouTube the other day looking at something I don't remember, and there was this other clip on there, and it had a, a person, this lady's, uh, somebody's holding up a dandelion, and the lady goes to... <laughs> Don't do this at home, okay? The lady thinks the guy's holding it so she can blow on the dandelion. She, she goes like this, and he stuffs the dandelion in her mouth. <laughs> I stopped watching. I didn't want to see the rest of it. But I love to watch kids blow the dandelions in somebody else's yard, you know, because then they grow up. But, and and the, just the wonder on their face when they see that happen. We've done sparklers with our kids and grandkids, and they hold it up, and they're just amazed. They're holding in their hands something that's flaming. And it's a great thing to teach your kids, right? Uh, but, but kids view life from a different perspective. There's a joy of learning and development. And Kathy teaches piano, and she gets really excited when the kids grow to the place where they can hear their own mistakes, and they can work on it and discipline it. And what a joy that is. But uh, look in Matthew, you're in 18. Look in verse number one. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, doesn't this sound like it? I, honestly, I have heard preachers say, in heaven, in the new the new earth, I want to rule over this section of the world. And I heard another preacher say that, you know, there's the, the 12 gates and they're for the 12 special people that God's calling and I'm going to be one of them. Jesus said, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Verse 2, Jesus called, or they asked Jesus, who's the greatest? Jesus called a little child to him, and he set him in their midst. Now, we don't have that little child that he was referring to. We don't have that age group in here, but that he just brought this little kid, and he sat him right in their midst, and he said this, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted, what does that mean? It means that you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. You ask him to forgive your sins. You believe and trust in what Jesus did for you on the cross, that he paid the penalty for your sin. You ask him to be your savior. He saves your soul. You're converted. But see, it's not just saying a prayer and now you're on your way to heaven. Conversion is a change of life. So the path that you were heading down, you're not heading down that path anymore. Um, I've seen people... I uh, had a friend in the Marine Corps, terrible mouth. He trusted Christ, never swore again. There was a conversion, um, a change of who you are because you're not the same person anymore. You now have the Holy Spirit of God inside you. Your values change. Your purpose changes. Even if you were a nice person before, your values still shift. 
You're more willing to sacrifice to help others. You're more willing to show love because God in his grace and mercy is changing who you are. There's a conversion. And he said, you have to be converted. Trust Christ as Savior and have him change your life and become as little children. You will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. What does he mean? Become as little children. Well, in John 3, he uses the phrase like of being like a baby in Christ, born again. You're a new believer. But there's also the simplicity of children. They, they understand. They trust. They just trust naturally. Um, when a mom picks up a little baby, uh, that little baby just snuggles in. They just trust completely. And God wants you and I to trust God completely with everything, every part of our lives. And it's really easy, honestly, it's really easy to trust him in the big things, isn't it? I mean, you go into the doctor and you get really bad news and you're facing surgery and you got no control over this at all, you trust God. Where it's harder to trust him is where you have control. Where where you get frustrated with yourself or with other people because you think you could have control and you, and then it's harder to trust God. I'll be honest with you. I have a hard time trusting God with our government. I know that God's in charge and I know that he's the sovereign ruler of the universe and I know that he allows people to get in elected positions, but we have some people running for office that I think are really unfit but they're on the election thing and they might get elected and they might not be honorable, but then you would have to call them honorable because the position they hold is honorable. I have a hard time trusting God with the government. I don't want to overthrow the government. I'm glad we have a government. I praise God for the good things that we have from our government. But it's really hard to trust him in everything like a little child does, like a little child. Trust him for your health. Trust him when you're running late and the light turns red. Trust him when you're like I was on I-10 this week, and I wasn't in a hurry to get home except for the fact that I was hungry. Uh, and I, I, there were two trucks going 65 in one lane and 65.2 in the other in a 75 zone, and it only took about 14 miles for me to be able to get in front of those two guys. But I wasn't counting. <laughs> so <laughs> I, <clears throat> I used to be a very aggressive driver. I'm not anymore. I drive carefully. I'm more cautious. I'm more aware. When I served as a chaplain, I saw a lot of fatal accidents, and it really changed the way I drive. But uh, I still get annoyed sometimes, like every time I'm behind the wheel. Verse number three, become converted as little children. You have to trust Christ with that simple faith of a child. Not simplistic, but simple faith. There's nothing simplistic about Christ dying for your sins, but it's simple to receive. How hard is it to receive a gift? It's simple. 
Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. See, I think there are guys who think when we get to heaven, there's going to be tears of greatness in heaven. I think there'll be differences of reward. Some will receive more reward than others, but we won't have this caste system or this tier system of, you know, there's the pastors and then there's the other people. That's not going to show up in heaven. The ones who receive Christ, they're going to be great. They're going to be joyful. They're going to be happy. They're going to be thrilled in heaven. And whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Jesus said, when you work in children's ministry and you receive those kids, some of them are not nice kids. Some of them really stretch you. Sometimes after Awana, I go home exhausted. Seriously, I'm so tired, I sit in a chair and Kathy brings me food because I'm just whooped. I can't even get my own food. At least I can bring it to my own mouth, right? But, but I am just whooped. And Jesus said, that's exactly what I want you to be doing. Treasure those kids. Now look at verse 6. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. A millstone was that grinding wheel. The millstone was heavy, and they would roll it over, and it would grind the grain. And it was big, heavy, and Jesus said, it'd be better to stick that around your neck and hurl you into the sea. That would be better than if you offend one who is believing in him. Jesus takes children's ministry very seriously. And there, there's the simplicity of children and the centrality of the gospel. We must share his truth. Anniversary Sunday, we looked at the great commandment. What's that? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and seconds like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We looked at the great commission to go and make disciples and then teach, baptize them and then teach them. We looked at the great congregation, the assembly of believers gathering together, and we looked at the great capacity, the power of the Holy Spirit to equip us to serve God. You need to remember, people without Christ are lost and dying. You know what we do in our culture when somebody's lost and dying? They go out for a hike in the woods, a kid gets separated from their family or an adult gets separated from others and they're lost and they're dying. What do we do in our culture? Yeah, we send out search and rescue. We scour. We beat the bushes. But believers who are aware that non-believers are lost and dying, what do we do? We pray for them. Is it good to pray for them? Yes. Is that enough? No. No, you go out and you look. I had friends when I was a teenager, some friends of ours lost a kid in the mountains, and 
It was years before they found the body. It was tragic, devastating. But even worse are those who do not know Christ. And one of the neat things about children's ministry is they haven't heard all the lies yet. They've only heard some of them. And so you can share the truth with them, and sometimes it makes more sense to kids because they haven't been indoctrinated with lies yet. And so kids have a chance to believe. But Jesus said it should be preached to everybody. Luke 24, the gospel must be shared. Jesus said that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, all peoples. That's why in our children's ministry, uh, every night that we have in Awana, every night we have a lesson, we also try and include the gospel because some of those kids might not have heard it yet or some of them might have heard it a lot, but tonight they're now paying attention. And so we really want to take that opportunity. That's why repeatedly at our activities and other things, we share the gospel because that's the center point of what we're doing. We're supposed to try and reach people with the gospel for Christ because they are lost and dying. And we should respond to those who are lost and dying with a similar attitude to what the world does to those who are physically lost and dying. We should respond with an urgency. So kids, remind us of this, that there's a simplicity to our faith, but the gospel is the most important thing. We must share the gospel. Number three, kids have a greater potential to serve God. A greater potential to serve God. You say, well, how do you figure that? I mean, uh, Kimmy um, Mollett trusted Christ as her Savior this week. Isn't that great? Praise the Lord for that. And so now next Sunday, Kimmy will be preaching for us. Is that a good idea, John? <laughs> yeah, it would be interesting, but not a good idea. Okay, so, so you see, the kids, you say, how do I say she has more potential? Well, see, how old is Kimmy? Six. So she got saved 10 years younger than I did. So in those 10 years, can she do some things for God that I couldn't do in those 10 years? Absolutely. There are things that, that kids, and yeah, they have to grow into doing serious ministry. You're not going to put a little child in charge of children's ministry. <laughs> It'd be interesting what they came up with, but it wouldn't be very spiritual. So, but, but we need to realize they have this phenomenal ability to serve God for a long time. How old was Daniel when he got carted off to Babylon? Probably a young teen. Probably. We think 13, 15, somewhere in that age group. We don't know. The Bible doesn't specify. But we do know how long he served God. He served God for 80 years. Well, from the time I got saved, for me to be able to serve God for 80 years, I have to end up being old. <laughs> okay, for Mr. Weber, he got saved in his 30s. So if he's going to serve God for 80 years... Hey, buddy, you're only two-thirds of your way there, man. He's got a long time ahead. 
Now, my wife got saved very young, so she could serve God for 80 years and still be relatively lucid. <laughs> Every now and then I get scared to go home. But, <laughs> but Daniel served God for 80 years. That's why that old evangelist called that. That's a fool. They get to serve their whole life for Christ. Kids have a greater potential to serve God. Not only that, number four, kids are establishing life patterns. Kids are establishing life patterns. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. From child, so these kids, they can learn the way of salvation and they can trust Christ as Savior and they can follow Him in baptism. They can live for the Lord. Now, if you're a parent and you have a child who makes a profession of faith, but you don't see any change in their life, no evidence of a heart change, then I'd just keep praying for them to be saved. Because Jesus said, you have to be converted. There should be a life change. Now, it might not be hugely dramatic if your kid happens to be a really nice kid already, but they should develop a greater heart for God, a greater heart for the church, because the church is the fullness of Christ. So you want to see that evidence of it. But kids are establishing life patterns. There's certain things they're doing now that they might be stuck with for 90 years. And one of the things that I do every year in our Trek Club is I have the kids, you know, say, all right, that wall is zero and, and that wall is, you know, 85. And so where are you in life? And so I'm out here. And Mr. Weber is like, oh. <laughs> love you, Dan. Okay. And so Mr. Ricosi's here, and I'm here, and the other adult workers are over here, and those kids, they're down here. So what if those middle school young people, what if they mess up? What if they do something really harmful? How long do they have to live with it? So kids are establishing life patterns, and we want to help them establish good life patterns. God can transform men in the middle of their life, like he did with the Apostle Paul. But Paul also lived with haunting memories of his life before Christ. I was in one junior high, and Kathy went to a different one, and we went to separate high schools, but we were in the same church. And after I got saved and got serious about following the Lord, then I also got serious about chasing Kathy. And she graciously agreed to go out with me, and I, I was smitten and drove her home and drove my, to my best friend's house and told him I was going to marry her. And, uh, and Kathy and I eventually got engaged, and she was in college then, or older high school, I don't remember which it was, but she, she had a friend um, that went to junior high with me. And her friend said, oh, you're engaged? She saw the ring. Uh, that was in first year of college, right? And, and her friend said, 
oh, who are you going to marry? Is it somebody I know? And Kathy said, yeah, his name's Terry Green. And this girl said, oh, I went to junior high with a kid named Terry Green. He was a real creep. And Kathy said, Kathy said, same guy, but Christ changed his life. Praise the Lord for that. But listen, Kathy got saved young enough, nobody can ever say she was that creepy girl from middle school. She got saved young enough that she doesn't have that baggage behind her life. Relationships scarred sometimes permanently. When you're older and you get saved, there's some, some baggage back there. You're still saved. You're 100% saved. You're on your way to heaven. But you have regrets, haunting memories of what you could have done differently. For me, it was that my closest friends, when I was a teenager, they didn't get saved. When I had an opportunity to influence them for Christ, I, I wasn't following them closely. And I missed that opportunity. And so kids are establishing life patterns, and we want to help them establish healthy life patterns. We want them to establish the pattern of following Christ, not just marginally, but passionately, to pursue Him. And so... Being involved in kids' ministries, children's ministries, helps you help them establish better life patterns, and they can live with fewer scars. But I think this one's also important. Number five, kids' ministries are fun for adults, too. They are. They're fun for adults. You need to be serving God, ministering to people, sharing the gospel, being involved in kids' ministries, a really fun way to do that. Uh, I love to see their faces when they're confused, and, you talk, and then their faces light up because they got it. Um, Anna was talking about Kimmy this past week. She was working on her memory verse for Cubbies, no, Sparks, and she was working on that verse, and it really clicked. She has worked on that verse before. She has passed that verse off in previous years. But now it clicked, and you love to see that happen. And uh, serving in kids' ministries is a blessing, but it also is a responsibility. That even if you don't teach a Bible class, even if you're not serving in the school with the Good News Club or in Awana with our Awana Club, uh, even if you're not serving in children's church or leading the kids' choir and, or working in the nursery, God still wants you to minister to kids. And here's some things that all of you can do that really make a difference. You can learn their names. See, when I was a kid, I had a brother who was a year older and a brother who was a year older. With two years and 12 weeks, there were three of us. And so guess what our name was growing up? Green boy. Hey, you're one of them green boys, aren't you? No, no, I'm pretty white. Um, yeah, we were the green boys. Nobody knew our names except the very closest people. And one of the things I loved about our church when we came, um, the older people learned our kids' names most of them. I mean, there were a couple of them who 
would tell your, your daughter, the, the one who wears glasses, right? your boy, the taller one, but, but most of them learn their names. You can have a ministry to kids just by learning their names and then praying for them by name. Well, if you're a member here, we do have a directory online or if you don't have online, Megan could print you one. It has some of the pictures and you can look, you can see their pictures, you can see their names and you can learn their names. Uh, you can show God's love to them. So there's a little kid outside who's misbehaving a little bit. Shocker, right? What can you do? You can stomp out there and let them have it, right? Or you can show God's love to them. And you can minister for Christ to kids. Even if you're not actively involved in one of our children's ministries, God wants you involved in ministering to children. Let the kids be in the process of helping the kids come to Jesus. And don't you dare be a hindrance to them. Because if you are, Jesus would rather wrap a millstone around your neck and hurl you into the sea. It makes him angry when we're not appropriately responding to kids. He was very upset with his disciples. And you can pray for our children's ministry workers. Because some days, it's a burden. It's always a joy. But some days, it's a burden too. And some of these kids don't get much help at home. They don't get much support at home. In fact, we have some kids involved in our Awana Club. They don't go to any church. This is it. And we have a responsibility to disciple them and help them follow Christ, even though they don't get it at home and they don't get it anywhere else. Now, I love what uh, Paul said to Timothy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in you also. God wants his faith to be passed down. If you don't have kids of your own, be involved in other people's kids, passing it along. If you have kids and grandkids who live somewhere else, be involved with kids and grandkids in this community, ministering for Christ. Because Jesus said, bring the kids to me. And then he held them and he blessed them. Wouldn't it be an amazing day in heaven to find out that your prayers or your ministry made a difference in the hearts and lives of kids? I gave one of my Sunday school teachers a few problems. He never lived to see me trust Christ as Savior. But someday in heaven, I'm going to get to tell him how much his class impacted my life. When I was first candidating as a pastor, they said, uh, when did you first feel called to preach? I said, oh, about four years before I got saved. Like, what? Clancy Brown Sunday School class. We're making a difference for all eternity in the hearts and lives of some of these kids. And you need to be involved in ministering to kids in some way. Praying, caring, 
nurturing, showing God's love. The kids didn't run away from Jesus. They ran toward him. You need to be that kind of person. Father, I pray that you would use us to impact kids and their parents, to reach families for you. I pray that our lives would point people to you, that we would have your heart, that we would have your truth, and we would share them in that order, heart first, then truth. Thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for changing my life and the lives of everyone in this room through the power of the Holy Spirit of God and through the work of Christ. I pray that we would truly follow you. And if there's one here in this room who has never trusted Christ as Savior, Father, I pray they would realize they are lost and they are dying and they need to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. I pray that they would do it here this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Jim's going to come and lead us. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. We are called to be God's people. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, He's calling you to be his people. He wants you to come to him and trust and believe in him. If you're here this morning and you know Christ, then rejoice. Let's stand and sing.